Hello, and welcome to Dairy Pod. I'm John Penry from Dairy Australia. Today we're back in beautiful South Australia, where the high number of sunny days has led to a revolution in energy usage, especially involving renewables. But apart from putting a few solar panels on the shed roof, how much do you really know about the opportunities and pitfalls involved in power usage? Dairy SA Extension Officer Beck Burgess recently sat down with farm energy expert Simon Mackay to see just how fast the game is changing in generating and utilising power. So Simon, thanks for being here today. Can you just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, your business and how you currently work with industry? Sure. So our business, Solar Energy, does energy um, consulting work for, for the dairy industry and we do a lot of work around energy management where we help farmers and we deliver energy projects and those projects range from anything from solar installations to generators, lighting upgrades, any sort of energy uh, projects that are there to help save people money. That's that's typically what our business is all about. We're here to obviously talk about power today and how particularly farmers can reduce their power, both consumption and energy costs. But just to go back a step, what actually is power and how are power costs determined? Yeah, so power costs are typically broken into two components. So power is charged in a certain way around the KVA charges or you know, the specific uh, component of your bill, but most of your costs are to do with the energy and that's charged in kilowatt hours. But uh, mainly most farmers will see an energy component to their bill. Only the really large farmers will have a power component, but basically the more you use, the more you pay. So there is a generalised belief, um, and I'm not sure if this comes from um, people living in residential homes or, or the like, but that majority of power um, during off-peak period um, is where a dairy farmer would save money. So is this entirely true? It, it, there is a lot of truth to that, and there's a lot of farmers that have saved a lot of money with that approach. The energy market's rapidly changing at the moment, so the off-peak period is changing. And so what we're finding now is um, the actual cheapest part of the day is through the middle of the day. So as opposed to traditionally off-peak is nighttime and weekends. So there's been a real shift and the, the tariffs are starting to adapt to sort of take that into account. So um, I think the main thing with saving money with this peak and off peak or is really understanding the way that the power bill is structured and then, you know, optimising your operation around trying to get the best out of that. And that's a, that's a moving target at the moment. So, you know, you need to be adaptive and to be aware that it, it is changing. And is every power company different with that? Yeah, most power companies... Um, most power companies are similar in the way they charge. What changes is the network charges, and and then but the power companies are responsible for passing on those costs. And there's a lot of difference in different regions. Like every different network will have a different set of structure around the way they charge. Yeah. And so their energy origin, let's say, works across Australia. They'll have different ways of charging their different network areas because of those charges. So. Again, it's about being aware of what your particular area looks like mm. and how to, yeah, 
uh, best to sort of optimise that for yourselves? Yeah. Um, we know that the national average energy use on dairy farms is about 48 kilowatts an hour per kilolitre of milk. Um, and the main contributors of that on a dairy farm would be um, hot water use, milk cooling and milk harvesting, um, and then obviously extra costs associated with um, effluent removal, stock, dairy water, etc. Um, so is it a matter of simply chucking some solar panels on a roof to be able to offset these costs or is there more to it? Oh, yeah, look, that, that worked for a while um, when the export rate that you know you got paid for your excess solar was high which was known as a feeding tariff mm -hmm. when they were high you could just stick solar on the roof and that would go you'd probably halve your power bill by doing that but because power is so cheap now energy is so cheap through the middle of the day um, those feeding tariffs have dropped to you know a marginal amount now six cents is sort of typical for large customers they might get paid three cents for their export so Solar still has a place, but you need to be much smarter with the way you use solar now. The key would be to, to use it, which means traditionally through the middle of the day, there's not a lot going on unless you milk three times a day. Mm. Um, so trying to bring in, you know, controllable loads into the middle of the day, like your hot water or maybe some refrigeration if it's got storage or pumping, that will get you the best value of the solar. Yeah. And so has the feed-in tariff reduced simply because supply and demand yeah. now? Yeah, there's so much excess solar in the network through most days. There's a lot of days where the energy price goes negative, which is a bit mind-blowing, but to think that if you're on a wholesale contract, so you asked a little bit earlier about do energy companies charge differently, there are differences in the sum. So some companies will offer a wholesale pricing or exposure to that. Through the middle of the day, a lot of the days, the energy price is negative. So you'd get paid to use energy because there is an excess of solar in the network that doesn't really have a home. So mm. um, it is changing the way that we operate and it's making the middle of the day uh, electricity prices the cheapest. Therefore, you know, farmers, especially farmers that have had storage and farmers that have really adapted to the peak and off peak they, they they would do that by having hot water storage or refrigeration storage or water storage for their pumping they're the best place to sort of take advantage as these changes come through so what options you've spoken um a bit briefly about being able to use some of that power in the middle of the day so what options do farmers have to reduce both energy use and costs the cheapest way to, to, to sort of start with this is um, with their energy use is trying to shift their usage to the cheaper parts of the day, which they're sort of familiar with. Uh, if they've got storage, then that gives them better opportunities to do that. Um, but some of the, the best things that they can do to reduce costs would be just looking at their energy contracts, um, renegotiating, now, the energy prices have come down substantially in the last few years compared to what they were. So if they're not revisiting and, and really shopping around or, or putting pressure on their, their, their companies that are supplying them the electricity, then they're probably paying too much. Mm -hmm. So that would be, the, I think, the single best thing that they could do at the moment. Um, focusing on... Energy efficiency is very important as well, but a lot of farmers have really focused on that over the years, and I think now it's 
the, it's shifting away from just being efficient, but to also being adaptive to take advantage of, you know, the low pricing when it's there and avoiding the high pricing. And it's hard for a farmer to do that because the high pricing typically overlays with the afternoon milking period. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there, there's, you know, there needs to be some work around how to do that effectively. You mentioned before around power storage. What are you referring to when you mention that? So energy storage can be in a number of forms. So it can be power and electricity, and that might be through batteries. And there's multiple ways of having batteries. Some batteries are used to shift energy from, say, your solar in the day to the afternoon milk. You might have battery storage for a UPS, an uninterrupted power supply, which you know, one of our farmers uses it to shift over to a generator without interrupting the milking process. Um, so they're, they're different forms of storage used for different things. Um, but you've got thermal storage, which is key because most dairy farmers have this. Um, have hot water services with large vessels that store hot water. They might only heat up once a day and they'll get them through. So they heat it up on the cheaper period and then it gets them through the day. But refrigeration is another one. A lot of farmers will use ice banks or big tanks of chilled glycol. Again, it's not an efficient way to use electricity because there's losses associated with that approach. But it's still cheaper because they're, they're, they're generating that heat or cooling at a much cheaper rate. So mm. all of that needs to be sort of taken into account depending on the circumstance of the farmer. Um, and yeah, it's there's lots of opportunity there because I think with the with the storage and with this dynamic nature that the energy market's going towards, where it's becoming a lot more volatile, the pricing's becoming a lot more dynamic and changing very very rapidly. That it gives the farmer a lot more ability to evolve and to adapt and and basically take you know get, have a much better outcome on their costs. Yeah. Do you think that because of the way the energy market's going, it's a really good time and a really good opportunity for farmers to reassess absolutely. where they're at? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And they'll have technology that's been installed 10, 15 years that's perfectly adaptable for the type of approaches that we'd be looking at now. Yeah. But just the, the, the control needs to be adjusted and even their understanding of their network that charges and their energy charges and how it comes about because there's a lot of savings that can happen just by use behaviour, you know, shifting pumping time slightly can have a massive impact and mm. um, renegotiating the network charges, which most people never look at. Mm. It's one of those things that people aren't aware that the network charges, there is choice. And now the energy prices have come down so much, the network charges can make up two-thirds of a power bill. Okay. So... There's yeah, there's certainly a lot there, and, and it's all really complex. Mm. It's difficult to try and understand as as a a lay person trying to get their head around this this new environment that we're in. So on that, then people being able to get their head around, you know, they're they're all very busy people, as you can imagine. So energy audits, um, how do they how do they fit? How do they work? If you go in and um, help a farmer to do an energy audit, which I know you've done some in the past, what does that look like? What do you what do you do? The, the nuts and bolts of how do you do that? Yeah, so energy audits are a great way to try and 
look at the system as a whole, the, the, the dairy as a whole, and try and work out the, the best approach to get the you know best value for dollar. Or um, and it just involves an external person coming in and assessing everything from the energy contracts to energy usage and looking through how all that is incorporated and what technologies could be improved, what could be added that aren't there. I think the the important thing with audits is not to view it as an audit. It's better off to be thinking of an energy assessment or energy mm-hmm. review because the standards for audits is really focused on energy efficiency. Most farmers are very efficient. They've done a lot of work with that in the past, but you really want to expand that to make sure you're including things like energy security. Mm-hmm. It's probably just as important energy security as it is the cost of energy. And so incorporating all that, if you've got energy security, you've got diesel generators, for instance, as a backup, having some automation to allow them to be utilised in a way that would give them financial benefit there, some of the things that you would look at which aren't typically in an order. Renewable energy, for instance, and battery backup, they're not traditionally in an order, but your own on-site generation can have a big impact. So you, you... the audits are, or the energy assessments are really important because you go through all the, the assessment, you can then have a what we'd effectively call a shopping list of measures. Some of them have cost associated, you know, with a expected return and payback. Some of them are, are free. You know, they're just behavioural change to try and, you know, manage things like shifting load to different times of the day or turning off load at certain times if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so... It's quite complex, but it gives them the farmer an ability to assess where where should they invest their time and energy, or where should they invest their capital, without necessarily just going with the easy option, which might be talk to their local electrician who might know one component, or talk to a salesperson that would be selling something, you know, something else. Like, you know, give them a much better overall view mm. of, of what to do. So I like the way that you said about energy audits and not necessarily calling it an audit but an assessment. Um, what do you say to a farmer who says, I don't even have time to get an energy assessment done? What do you say to them? So what input would they need yeah. um, from a – how much time is it going to take them to undertake even an assessment, I suppose? Not a lot. Um, you'd need a good couple of hours to have a discussion to really flesh out the operation and why things are done at the times they are and if there's any flexibility. But the majority of the work would be undertaken by consultants and engineers that understand all the components and you produce a report that you know, then needs to be conveyed around the, the, the detail in it to, mm-hmm. to, to get some action. But there shouldn't be a barrier. I think that the, the biggest barrier I've seen with audits in the past is that it can be a bit tokenistic and probably don't go and look broadly enough at where the savings are. And, and so there's probably not a lot of value or there's been a bit of a perception there's not a lot of value or they're overly complicated that are hard to understand, so no action gets taken. So the, the audit's useless unless something gets done at the mm-hmm. end of it. And so we're strong advocates of making sure that 
there's a plan to deliver at least the low-hanging fruit so that you start to get some benefit out of the audit, yeah. not just have a report that sits on someone's desk and never gets read because mm. it's... Yeah. So those audits have some real tangible things, that simple things nearly that people can actually um, get from them to implement right. them in their business. Yeah. And if they're complex, then there's a way of simplifying it so that you're just looking at the bigger numbers. Mm. You don't necessarily need to know how it all goes together. Mm-hmm. But if there's a strong business case, most people then take notice. And yeah. it's been really confident around that. And, you know, we, we pride ourselves on that part of it because we do deliver projects and we do consulting work. So, and quite often things get lost somewhere mm-hmm. there. So you've got to be very practical about what you can and, can, can and can't achieve in any sort of measure. But it also needs to be well thought through and designed and costed. So, you know, the, there's a range of skill sets there that, you know, require it to come together to yeah. be useful. Yeah. Great. So can you give us any examples um, of how you've worked with farmers on reducing their power costs and usage? Yeah. So some of the best outcomes we've had where we are providing an energy management service to them. So we, we do this auditing but then make sure that, you know, we're actually helping to implement the changes. And some of the biggest examples of savings have been things like changing the energy contracts, getting, getting, and we're talking 20, 25% reduction in energy costs, mm. which doesn't cost any money. You haven't had to spend a lot of capital to get those sorts of savings, but that's sort of typical of what we're seeing at the moment. Um, some of the... The biggest outcomes we've had aren't even cost savings. So, you know, one thing that gets uh, looked at, but there's not really a saving attached to, say, a lighting upgrade in a dairy. And that's true. You know, do an LED lighting upgrade, it's, they don't, the lights aren't on that often, but do an LED lighting redesign and get the light where it's needed. And all of a sudden, you've got happy mm. dairy farmers that can actually see, you know, predi- you know and Traditionally, you had all these dark spots because the lights weren't th- thought out. Um, another example was a, a UPS battery that we've installed to try and you know, it stops the power going out when they're milking when the generator turns on. And if you're at the end of a line and you get a lot of um, instability in the grid, powers might flicker, you know, three or four times through the milk. And traditionally, all the lights would go off. Generator would come on, everything would turn back on again, but the cups would fall off the cows and they'd, they'd, the computer would go off so they'd lose what cows were on the platform. So, we, you know, we've installed a UPS to so allow that to be uninterrupted. Now the power can transfer between grid and generator. When they're milking, they don't see any interruption. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's, there's been actually a financial saving with that scenario because we've managed to get that farmer onto a wholesale exposed energy contract, which means we'll now turn the generator on if the wholesale price is really high. Mm-hmm. So it avoids them buying at the high prices, but they take advantage of the low wholesale pricing when it's there. So. Yeah. Thoughts on the travelling solar salesman, um, government initiatives, um, you know, you spoke about LED lights, there's a lot of mm-hmm. government initiatives around those things. Um, do you feel that they have their their place um, without putting anybody down. But um, what are your thoughts on 
on on these solar schemes and and what have you yeah it's it's a tricky one like these roaming salespeople, whether they're solar or whether they're selling energy contracts and whatever, it's it's great that they take the time to go to the farm and actually talk to the farmers. I think that's that's excellent. The challenge is they're selling one thing. They're pushing whatever it is that they sell for credit to them that they're, they're doing it on farm and not just through a call centre. Um, but unless you're armed already with what you need to do it can be you know you can be led down the wrong path and so um you know i think getting salespeople, inviting them in because you have a need is you're going to end up with a far better outcome than just having someone randomly come across the property and 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 pitch whatever it is they're selling at the time and a lot of with these government schemes there's so much false advertising and misinformation that goes around them and dressing up something that's not really there. Get in now, buy now quick because you're missing out on a rebate or any number of things. That I think you just need to be really careful because, yeah, the, the government incentives are there. They're there to everyone. And, you know, there will be timeframes when certain things close out. But if you've got a person coming to your farm to tell you that you know that's usually not the right approach mm. um yeah so lastly if somebody is listening today um and thinking about um or they're concerned about their power costs and usage what would be or if we had a farmer in the room today what would you give them as a word of advice some top tips say three top tips that they could do today yeah, I think the the easiest thing to do if it's not been done for, for the last year or so is to renegotiate their energy contracts and 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 also just be aware that the network charges there's an you know usually an ability to really get the cost of the network charges down. So if you have the time, concentrate on that. That'll be the the, the single best thing you could do at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, Alternatively, you're getting a, a, an expert, a consultant, somebody that understands the network and, and, and basically outsource that to someone else because it is very complex and unless you've got a lot of time to learn about it, um, you, you know, the farmer's efforts are probably best spent on ground pasture and, and looking after their cows. Mm-hmm. Um, but to not do anything is usually costing them money. So I think there's certainly there's a massive opportunity at the moment to reduce their energy costs and become more energy independent. So energy security is, is really important. So I think, you know, when you encompass the, the energy savings that you would get by bringing someone in to look at it holistically, but also improving the energy security of your, of your farm, then, yeah, it's, I think it's a really good option. Well, I think there's some really great tips for guys and girls that are listening at home about how they can reduce um, power. And I know we've spoken about it a lot, but thank you so much for your time. Um, and I hope that people have got some insight into how they can be more efficient and reduce their power costs. So thank you. Thanks, Beck. Appreciate it. Thanks to Beck and Simon for that illuminating discussion. It's a far more complicated world than just a few years back, but it's clear that many farmers can make the most of the changing energy environment. 
You can find plenty more information on this topic at dairyaustralia.com.au or speak to your local regional extension officer. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and remember, there's plenty more in the archives to listen to and enjoy. Look out for these wherever you find your podcasts. Please don't forget to subscribe to DairyPod on your favourite podcasting platform. If you have any questions or ideas for future podcasts, just get in touch with us by emailing dairypod at dairyaustralia.com.au. Thanks a lot for listening and bye for now.